Colbert from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. We'll be reading the first 12 verses. Throughout the many chapters of the book of Isaiah, within them are uh, these segments that we call the Songs of the Suffering Servant, which uh, we have understood to be prophesying of Jesus' life and ministry. Uh, This is one of those. And so I'm going to invite you, this may be a little different, but if you are willing and able to stand out of reverence for the reading of the Scripture, I would invite you to do that. And hear the word of the Lord from Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 12. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. And the he now refers to the prophesied suffering servant. Continuing. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We are in the third week of the season of Lent. It's a six-week season, 40 days excluding Sundays of preparation before Easter. And our focus during Lent is to prepare ourselves to receive the fullness of the resurrection message on Easter. It's a time in which we uh, examine ourselves in which we seek to make changes in our lives and add discipline, spiritual discipline to our lives to grow close to God. And I hope your Lent has been holy and fruitful. Uh, During this season, we're also in a series of sermons that focuses on the crucifixion. 
The cross and the crucifixion of Christ are central to our faith, and so it is worth us taking some time over these weeks to pause, to not move past it so quickly, to meditate upon Christ's work on the cross. And so today we are talking about the suffering of Christ. I'll invite you to pray with me. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. I tried to get Brian to sing a song for me, but he wouldn't do it. He, he volunteered to do a dance, but I thought I don't want you leaving church until the thing is over. So, uh, sorry, Brian, maybe next week, a little ballet for us. I'm kidding. I love you, bud. No, no, no. R.E.M., that old, wonderful Athens-based band, some of you may know. Even if you're not a fan of uh, popular music, I'm sure you've listened to the radio a time or two between the 80s and the 90s. They remind us that everybody hurts sometimes. Some of you could sing it right now. Neil, you want to give it a go for me? The guys on the Everybody hurts sometimes. This is a reality of human existence that at one time or another, no matter who we are, we will all hurt. At some time or another, we will all suffer. Uplifting, isn't it? Aren't you glad you came to church today? Preacher, what in the world are you talking about suffering? I came here to get away. Well, you're in good company because everybody wants to get away from suffering. Suffering and pain are, they're, listen, they're hard to talk about. They're hard to talk about because they remind us either of the suffering that we're experiencing in our lives, which we want to avoid at all costs, so please, let's not dwell on it too much, or the fact that we are not immune from suffering, which, quite frankly, we don't like much either. We'd rather avoid both of those things. It's easier not to talk about it, but we ultimately can't avoid it. And some of you might be thinking, all right, it's a little strange to hear talk about suffering in church. This isn't a funeral, after all. And part of the reason that it might be uncomfortable to hear a discussion about suffering in church is because popular Christianity has taught us that if we believe in Jesus, we will have health, wealth, and prosperity. And that if we simply have faith that God will protect us from all of the bad things in life and all will be unicorn uh, lattes, rainbows, and gumdrops, and we will be exempt from the difficulties of life. And now that teaching might get people in the door. And it does, all over the West. It gets people in the door because people want to avoid suffering and anything that we can have to get rid of any pain in our life, to rise above, to inoculate ourselves from it, we'd like to. That kind of teaching will get people in the door, and it'll probably get dollars in the ministry bank account, but that does not seem to be the way it really works, does it? Listen to me. I've conducted too many funerals, prayed at too many hospital bedsides, held the hands of too many dying children, and shed too many tears of my own to sit up here and tell you that that's the way that it works. It doesn't work that way. Because life, well, listen, I'm sorry to tell you this. If this is news to you, I'm sorry. Cover your children's ears if you don't want them to learn so quickly. Life is hard. And we will hurt. And we will get hurt. And we will hurt others. And our bodies will let us down. 
and we'll get sick and we'll carry grief in our heart and anguish over relationships that didn't go the way we wanted them to. It's just reality. And prosperity faith is attractive. I want to just say, believe in Jesus and you will never struggle. I want to say it so bad because it's attractive. And it's easier for me to say to you than what we're talking about today. But prosperity faith is attractive until it is met with pain. It's attractive until it is met with pain. And when it does, it leaves us hung out to dry. Any religion, any Christianity that avoids human suffering breaks down just at the point where we hurt. Christianity that avoids human suffering breaks down just at the point where we suffer. And when that happens to us, and when it happens to others, it can make us feel like God is just out of reach. Like he went just up to the point of our pain and went no farther. We can feel like the person who stood in line at the grand opening of a store for hours and hours on end, inching up person by person as it goes, and just as we get to the door, the clerk puts his hands up and turns the size to close. Sorry, take us right up to it, but not to it. Christianity, however, is not about God teaching us how to avoid suffering. It's not that. Christianity is about God himself becoming flesh in Jesus Christ and experiencing the fullness of human suffering and sin on behalf of the world. Christianity is about God himself coming down as flesh and experiencing the fullness of human suffering for the world. And that's what changes things for us. It changes things because God does not just walk right up to the point where things are hard and then say, wow, I'm sorry you're dealing with that. I'm going back over here. God does not stop short. And it is in the suffering of Jesus Christ that we see the grace of God for all of us in every experience of our life. You see, the suffering of Jesus is central to the Christian faith. It really is. After all, the enduring symbol of our faith is the cross on which Jesus was crucified. You see a cross anywhere, almost transculturally, almost without fail in areas of the world, you see the cross and you know you're talking about Christ. Now, we may uh, shine it up a little bit. We may put a little gold polish on it. But the emblem of our faith is the very thing on which Christ was crucified. It's at the center of our faith. And take for another example, I shared this with you a few weeks ago, the Apostles' Creed, which we shared a few minutes ago as our affirmation of faith. It's one of of our oldest historic uh, summaries of the Christian faith. And it describes the entirety of Jesus' life in six words. His entire life, from birth to death, every little thing that he did, the Apostles' Creed describes his life in these six words. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified. His entire life is magnified by his suffering. It's central to our lives. The Gospels, those are the four biographies, if you will, of Jesus' life that you find at the very beginning of your New Testament. The Gospels have been described as passion stories with an extended introduction. 
Now, that word passion does not describe uh, Jesus' strong emotions like, I'm passionate about mint chocolate chip ice cream. Uh, I am. And it's not about that. It comes from the Latin word passus, which means suffering. Passion comes from the Latin word that means suffering. So the gospel stories that tell us about Jesus are often called suffering stories with an extended introduction. And even before Jesus walks the earth, the Bible prophesies that the Messiah would suffer. The Hebrew prophet Isaiah foretells of Jesus uh, in the passages we call the songs of the suffering servant. We read one of those today. And listen to what he foretells about Jesus in uh, verses 2 through 4. It says, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. God's plan from the beginning was to become a man of suffering. A man familiar with pain for a purpose. You see, it's not just that that God uh, and Jesus Christ suffers without a purpose. It's not for suffering's sake. It had a purpose. You see, when Jesus Christ came into the world and all that he suffered through his life, and especially uh, through his passion, crucifixion, and death, he did that for our pain. He took up our pain. He bore our suffering. It was a purposeful thing. It was proof beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was willing to descend all the way into the worst experience of human experience so that he would not stop short of right where we needed him. Jesus, the Son of God, not just any person, the Son of God, God made flesh, was rejected by the powers of the world. I wonder if you know what it feels like to be rejected. He was betrayed by those closest to him. He was abandoned by his dearest friends. I mean, think about this moment. Here, this is stained glass depicts the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the place where Jesus prayed right before he was arrested. And, and he was so filled with anguish. And he asked three of his disciples, he said, please, just, just stay awake and pray for me. I need, you to, I need you to do that. And they couldn't do it. He was abandoned. They all fled when the captors came. And then he was mocked, spat on, whipped, beaten, nailed to a cross. And that suffering stands at the center of our faith. Because while Jesus was crucified for the sins of the world, he was also descending into the deepest suffering of human experience. When Jesus gave himself up to be crucified, he proved that God cared for the weakest of humanity. He took on human sin, but he also took on the depths of our pain. Because you see, God was not content that everybody except those who hurt could have him. He was not content to say, I will go this far. We've been quoting music from the 90s. How about meatloaf? I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Brian, you want to sing that one for me? 
<laughs> God, in His great love, wants everybody in the world, including those who suffer, to be taken up into Himself. And so He experiences even the lowest lows. You see, on the cross, we see a God who redeems our suffering. God does not try to help us avoid our suffering. God, in fact, I mean, you read Jesus say things like, blessed are those who mourn. You hear the Bible, Jesus say in the Bible, take up your cross and follow me. What God instead wants for us is to know that he has redeemed our suffering. And that means something for us. And so what I would like to do is just share three ways that that matters for you, that God has redeemed our suffering. The first one is this. Jesus is our companion in our suffering. Jesus is our companion in our suffering. Suffering is a a uniquely lonely experience. I mean, it really is. Who can know our pain? The best we can do is hope that maybe somebody has gone through something similar to us, but when it comes down to it, we can't really have anybody know exactly what's going on. When we suffer, we can no longer rely on all of the external things that we have for our security. We are stripped down to our deepest selves. And we barely know ourselves at our deepest levels. That's where our pain will sit. And and if we don't know ourselves at those deep levels, chances are that anyone else does either. And you add that loneliness to the fact the well-meaning ways that people try to comfort us, sometimes it falls short. Aren't you glad that people try to comfort us in our pain and our suffering? Aren't you glad? I'm glad that God has given us the gift of each other. Sometimes, though, sometimes it, people are very well-meaning and, and they try real hard and it falls short. Christians, we can be a little bit, we can be a little bit dense when it comes to helping people. Uh, maybe it's because um, we don't want to get too close to their pain because it's hard and uncomfortable. We wrap a lot of things up in God language and hope that that works. Uh, It's going to be okay. God's got this. And that's a good way to, good word to walk out on is, I I know that. I trust that. I believe that. But but I'm hurting right now. We can do some well-meaning things to try to help one another say, well, listen, God's in control. God's got a plan for your life, and this is part of God's plan. Well, it might be, and we can work out the logic and reason of all of that in just a few minutes, but right now I can barely breathe. So sometimes even the most well-meaning of our friends actually reveal to us the loneliness that we experience. And add that to the fact, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, this is the saddest thing and it hurts so bad when the people that are supposed to be the closest to you, that you rely on the most, when you look up, they're not there. They just can't go there. They just can't, they just can't go there with you and, and you need them, but they can't. For some reason, it's so uncomfortable that they are not present, maybe afraid of what our suffering says about their lives. And what I'm telling you is that it's a lonely experience. But listen, we are not alone in our suffering. We are not alone in our suffering. The suffering servant, Jesus Christ, is our companion. Listen to what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53. He took up our pain. He bore our suffering. That's not just, hey, general uh, all over the place. I need you to think about this. The thing that you are hurting from right now, the difficulty you are experiencing, the hurt that you are feeling right now, Jesus has taken up your pain. 
Jesus has taken up your suffering. Jesus is the one of all who does have a sense of exactly what it is you're going through because he has borne it himself. The grief that you feel right now, the pain that you feel right now, in ways beyond our understanding, Jesus has already taken upon himself. He has borne your pain and taken on your suffering. You see, God does not stop short. God does not stop short. God has given himself to be with us even in our suffering, and no one knows it as intimately and as fully as he has because he has taken it up. God does not stop short. The famous Psalm uh, number 23 reminds us of this. This might be the uh, verse I've quoted most from this pulpit recently. I have to look back and check. And it says this, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with with me. You are not alone. Whatever it is that you're going through right now, be it something that's big, something that's, that, that hurts, but it, it, it feels maybe like other people won't take it seriously, I need you to know this. Whatever you're going through, you are not alone. You are not alone. God loves you so much that he became a man of suffering so that he could be with you in yours. You are not alone. Jesus is our companion in suffering. The second thing is that our suffering is no longer meaningless. Our suffering is no longer meaningless. Listen, I can do a lot of things if there's some purpose behind it. I don't like doing dishes. But I'll tell you, if it will keep me married, I will do all the dishes. You know what I'm saying? But there's a purpose behind it. I can do much of anything. Clean the shed? No, thank you. Clean the shed or sleep on the couch? I'm cleaning the shed twice. I can do anything if there's a purpose to it. But the difficult thing is is when there seems to be no meaning, things get really hard to carry out. You think about when you were in school. How many of you remember complaining about just getting busy work? Yep, we got to bear witness, my sister. Amen. Because it, when, it, when it doesn't feel like there's any meaning, things get so hard to continue doing. And I want you to think about this. When, when we turn on the news and we listen to reporters tell us about the horrific act of the day, which may be the horrific act of the hour, the way they describe the suffering that people experience is with words like senseless and meaningless. And what they're trying to describe is the, the sheer emptiness and, and horror of what has happened But our suffering can feel like that left on its own, meaningless, like it leads nowhere good. Like, what what, what meaning does my life have if they won't let me drive anymore? What meaning does my life have if I can't even get up on my leg? What meaning does my life have if, if the person that I woke up to year after year is no longer there? What meaning does my life have if I, if, if I can't remember What meaning does my life have if everything that I've ever earned is gone? Do you see what I'm saying? But listen, the crucifixion and suffering of Jesus destroys the meaninglessness of the suffering we experience. The suffering of Jesus destroys the meaninglessness of our suffering. Jesus experienced the suffering. He took it on, but suffering had no hold on the Son of God. 
His suffering and his pain took him all the way to the grave, but it could never rob him of his purpose. After his suffering, after his death, comes resurrection. When he has taken up our suffering and all of the suffering and sin of the world, when he has taken up that pain and he takes it to the grave and comes back out, suffering has no more hold the same way that sin has no more hold for those who believe. And here's an interesting fact. When Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't just rise up and all, uh, all of those marks were all gone like, hey, everybody, look, never really happened. Aren't I? Don't I have great hands? No, no. You remember that the disciple Thomas tells us that, that those marks were there. He's, he had trouble believing that Jesus had risen from the dead. He said, I'm not going to believe it at all unless I can stick my finger in those wounds on his hands and, and touch the wound on his side. And when Jesus comes to see him, he has those marks there as if to say, look what happened and here I am. Look what happened and I am alive. These wounds are, this suffering, these marks of suffering are no longer meaningless. Now they are a sign that we overcome all things in my name. These wounds are now a sign for Thomas, the disciple, that reignited his faith. They were a witness. Our suffering is no longer meaningless if we turn it over to Jesus Christ. Verse 11 of our passage says this, After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Your circumstance does not rob your life of meaning. It might feel that way, but if you turn that over to Jesus, you can remember that Jesus has redeemed your suffering. And whatever you're going through will not be the bitter end. In Christ, suffering always leads to life. Suffering always leads to life, both for you and the people that you can bear witness to of your faith under such circumstances. Our suffering is no longer meaningless because God has redeemed our suffering. And the last thing that will help connect it together, your suffering connects you intimately with Jesus. Your suffering connects you intimately with Jesus. Now, this is a mature concept, so I need you to listen to me. It does not mean to diminish your suffering as if to say, well, at least you can identify with Jesus, so there's that. Just get over it. You're identifying with Jesus. Get over that. Nor is it meant to say, well, Jesus suffered for you. Can't you just do a little suffering for him? What you've gone through is nothing compared to what he's gone through. That's not what this means at all. In fact, I think a little warning to uh, those of us Christians who would like to comfort those in their, in their grief, let's never, 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 never diminish uh, a point of pain for somebody. Is it's theirs and it's real. Instead, what we're talking about here is that it means in suffering, we can grow into deeper union with Jesus. We don't choose to suffer so that we can do that. Listen, that's not a way that you should choose spiritual growth, but in suffering, we can grow into deeper union with Jesus. The great contemplative Thomas Merton said this, pain is intensely personal and is one of the main points of personal connection between our lives and Christ's life. It is one of the primary points of personal connection between our life and Christ's life. And look, that makes sense. Think about this. Can you identify with Jesus when he heals the sick or casts out demons? I can identify with the desire. I can't identify with doing it. Can you identify with that? Can you identify with Jesus when he walks on water? I tried that once. I ended up swimming instead. 
Can you identify with Jesus when he feeds 5,000 people with just a few loaves and a few fish? Can you identify with Jesus when he uh, raises his friend from the dead? Probably not. These are miraculous experiences and parts of his life that we love, but doing those things is not a regular part of our experience. We love that. We appreciate that. We're moved by it. It speaks to us, but it's in the suffering of Jesus that we can all have a point of connection. I, I can identify with that. I don't know what it's like to raise somebody from the dead, but my goodness, what it's like to hurt. We can all identify with that no matter who we are. Suffering is a place where we can identify and most relate with Jesus' life. When we hurt, we had the chance to personally connect with the life of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 4.13 says this, Rejoice as you share Christ's suffering. You share his suffering now so that you may also have overwhelming joy when his glory is revealed. Not rejoice that you are suffering, but instead sharing in Christ's suffering. Connecting with God, saying God has taken this up and in my pain I'm no longer going to look inward or look to the bleakness of it. I am going to seek my Lord who is here with me, who has suffered this pain, who will carry me. It's an opportunity. Through this connection with Christ, your trials can lead you to deeper faith and holiness. Your your, your pain connected with Jesus leads you to hope. You can connect and identify with the Son of God and all that He is if you draw near to God in your suffering and turn it towards union with God. He's our companion. He gives meaning to our hurt and we can connect with Him through it. But listen, the crucifixion is at the center of our faith and through it God saves humanity from sin and also descends into human suffering and redeems it. So what about you today? Are you grieving the death of a loved one? Have you been hurt or rejected by someone? Does your heart ache? Are you overwhelmed with sadness? Are you sick? Do you hurt? God cares so much about your pain that he has taken on your pain and borne your sufferings. God did not stop short, and he is with you even now. And I pray that today the Holy Spirit will bear witness to you that he is with you in it. And the question for you is, will you draw near to him today in your hurt? And in just a few moments, as we sing our closing hymn, I'm going to invite you, if you would like, to come to the altar uh, to pray and be anointed with oil. Uh, for a connection with the Lord and for healing and prayer. But first, I want to say one final thing to the rest of you who may wonder, this sermon must have been for somebody else today. Let me say this to the rest of you. Follow Jesus into other people's pain. Do not be afraid of their suffering. Be present to them. They need you. Do not try to fix them do try to love them. Your presence will be a reminder to them that God is present with them. And your love will be a reminder of God's love in a dark time. My friends, if you would come, I'd invite you to, uh, to receive prayer uh, at the altar.